Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. So a big welcome to everyone, welcome to our listeners and a big welcome today to Rod Reason. And Rod is calling us from the States. I'm not quite sure which part of the States he's in, we'll find that out in a moment. But Rod Reason is the co-founder and CEO of Springbuck, and he has taken this business from scratch to 115 employees. I'm sure it's still growing. We're going to find out some details on that. He's had a big uh, fundraising, or he's got funds for his business, and his business is in health intelligence and analytics and how to use data-driven health decisions or how to make decisions on your health based on data. So I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. A very big welcome to you, Rod. And I'm sure you can do a much better introduction than me. So over to you. Well, thanks, Rebecca. Um, It is very uh, nice to be here on your podcast. Uh, Thank you for what you do. Um, Interviewing folks and talking about leadership. It is a, a very fond topic of mine. I love studying it. Um, love being a student. Uh, so, so thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. And you know, this is a theme that many of our leaders say that it's always about learning. We never stop learning. And so it's great that you jumped straight into that point. So on that note, Rod, what does great leadership look like for you? How would you describe great leadership? Um, I, you know, I was trying to prepare for this question, um, and I a lot of things uh, went through my head. Um, and as you think about leadership, or you know, as your your listeners think about leadership, there's probably various qualities that come to mind. Um, for me, one of the biggest uh, things as a leader, I want to be a servant leader. Um, I don't think I need to know everything. Um, that that uh, I think is actually a failure of a lot of lead- leaders is that they believe they need to know everything. Um, I personally like to surround myself with experts in various areas that know far more than I do. Um, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room, um, but I'm there to, to serve and help uh, them identify problems and get out of the way, um, allow them and allow them to, to go execute. So um, that's one of them. And then uh, obviously a, a continuous learner. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a student of the topic of leadership. If there's a book out on leadership, and as you can probably see, I have a lot of books um, behind me, and this is a uh, 1% of my book collection. I'm a voracious reader, um, but uh, love studying the topic, and there's always something to learn um, about how to be a good leader. Well, on that note, again, you know, you've got you read a lot, and you're growing a business. How do you manage to fit in the two? You know, I think uh, one of the things, I'm definitely a doer. Um, those that know me um, know I'm a, a person of action. I like to get things done. Um, and uh, that that is a positive trait, but can also be a negative one. I, I want to jump in and do. And one of the things that I've learned just in my professional experiences, oftentimes the best thing to do is nothing. Um, and it's to step back, understand, 
Um, you know, in the construction trade, they say measure twice, cut once. Um, and in business, uh, oftentimes it makes sense to sit back, analyze the problem, find out uh, from others' perspectives what they see the problem may be, and then to come to a conclusion and act. That doesn't mean to wait um, too long or to stall or be a procrastinator. Um, but, uh, you know, part of being a good leader is to make sure that you, when you make that decision, you make it with enough information that you're confident that you can move forward. Um, and so sometimes that means for me taking time to educate myself, sharpen my own sword so that I'm ready to go execute, um, you know, on, on that next decision. I think that's such a great analogy to, to measure twice cut once. And have you got an example you could share with us, Rod, where you've actually done that and instead of jumping in maybe perhaps going against this desire if you're an action orientated person and just stood back for a moment and made a more informed and better decision um experience is a great educator um and uh wisdom you know it's often said that wisdom comes from learning from other people's experience not just your own um, so I have lots of experiences of learning from cutting first uh, before I, I measured twice. Um, those are, uh, you know, I actually think you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. But, uh, you know, one of, the way, one of the things I think we did right as an organization was when COVID hit um, the United States in March, we're based in the Midwest in Indiana, and we're, we're a, uh, a familial type uh, Midwest culture, very nice. Um, and uh, we like that being in an office type feel. And when COVID hit, we didn't really have a choice um, to start to make decisions that would cascade into various uh, potential outcomes, one of which was to ultimately decide to close our office. And um, it was one that we talked to many, um, and we were actually one of the very first ones to act in our state um, to make the decision before many of the larger corporations and many of the, even the small tech companies had made that decision. We chose to go ahead and make that decision um, for the safety and protection of our people. Um, and so I'd say sometimes making a quick decision will ultimately come down to the values that you espouse um, as a leader and then also in your organization. And for us, our people are first. So for us, it was a pretty quick, easy decision to say, you know what, for the safety of all, we need to, we need to close the office. There will be ramifications, potentially outfall, uh, but it's the right thing to do. Well, one of the things that we wanted to focus on in this podcast was looking at leadership during a crisis, during a difficult time. And is that COVID situation that difficult time that you've had to face recently, or is there something else that's been more pressing? So yesterday I was on a call with uh, 13 other CEOs as part of a venture group, their, port, their portcos or portfolio companies. And then they had two CEOs of insurance plans. And that very question was asked, um, you know, how do you deal with leadership in a crisis? And so I'll say um, something that I heard, um, which I agree with, which is if you look at last year, uh, 2020 was one of these years that, that almost feels like a leap year in that it's you, you I've noticed even in my own conversation I say oh remember last year and people are like no Rod that was actually in 2019 it just is one of those years that evaporated in time as we look back in history because there was so much going on um, and we had civil unrest um, throughout the United States um, we had you know a, a big 
tumultuous summer, um, you know, with a lot of things going on. Um, you have COVID that is starting to spike and have its its effects across the United States. And then to add to things from a CEO seat, we have this employment issue of taking people from work from anywhere and then add to it. So add for the fourth, you have an environment where the, the economy is booming um, and employment or talent is the hardest to get it than it ever has been. Um, you could even say there's a fifth, which is this whole um, mass um, exodus of companies and studies are showing that many, many people are searching for a new role. So from a CEO perspective, and this is from the other words uh, from others, was never in history. And this is from a, a gentleman that leads a health plan. He said, in my 40 plus years of leadership, I've never had so many big macro um, events that I've had to manage through. And he was talking to us as, as uh, you know, smaller uh, venture funded uh, businesses. So it's been a very, very tough year when you think about all that we have to lead through. Um, but I think that's when leadership is put on a pedestal and you have to make good decisions. And I think ultimately you go back to who you are as an individual, what drives you, what's the thesis of your, your values, what are those that, uh, you know, are important to you. And it, you know, sometimes it's even easier um, during crisis, although that may sound a little bit uh, interesting. Um, I think sometimes making those big decisions sometimes come easier because they have to be made very quickly. And with all those spinning plates, all those macro issues, I mean, we we hear that the great resignation, which I think is a phrase that has come from the States, is actually accelerating. So um, it, that's not dissipating at all along with the other things that you talked about, what are you doing as a leader to make sure that you've got a culture in your organization where teams feel really motivated? Because I just read a, a Gartner report this morning and it said only 13% of employees feel um, mostly satisfied with the experience they have at work. Now that is a staggering figure. So share a bit about your culture and what you're doing as a leader to really kind of overcome some of these challenges. Um, I'll be first to say that uh, this is an experiment that we are all learning at the moment. So I don't um, believe that we have all the answers, um, but I will speak to culture. It's something that's very important to me as a leader. Um, and I think that culture ultimately um, wins um, in an organization. So I think there are a lot of problems that go into the, the environment that we're in with the, the, the workers broadly um, and the various uh, age segments and then how that is uh, being um, needing to be managed as an organization. So for us, I think ultimately as human beings, and I've got two college-age daughters. This is something that my, my freshman in college, um, she and I were just walking through a changing of major. And so for my kids, um, what I say to them is, you know, girls, you need to find something that is intellectually stimulating to you. If you're challenged and you're, you're stimulated intellectually, then it will, will ultimately mean that we're matching your, your, your uh, talents, how you've been gifted with the problems that you like to solve. And you're going to naturally enjoy the work that you're doing. In the workforce, we say we have problems in our organization, um, and every business does. There are challenges, however what term you want to put on it, but there's problems that need to be solved. And so when you can find and identify that problem and articulate that problem in a very clear way, 
and match that with someone who is intellectually stimulated at solving that problem, you have a unique marriage of both talent and problem. And that creates a, an environment where the person can feel rewarded in the challenge that they're, that they're doing. So that's pretty basic in all humanity, um, no matter what we're doing. You obviously enjoy doing podcasts or you wouldn't be doing them, um, right? So, um, you know, so from a cultural perspective, we, we hire and fire and promote based on our culture. And it's three simple things. We win together. Um, and win together to us is not just a trite statement that means that, uh, you know, we celebrate together. Win together means that there's no politicizing. There's no me over we. It's not look what I did. There's no white knight or hero syndrome. It is literally we're in this business together to solve a very, very big mission of preventing disease with data. So we win together. Um, on the opposite side of that, this isn't a value, but people understand that we also lose together. So when a customer doesn't renew or if we have a problem in the organization, we, we win together and we lose together. So we're a team, um, and that's very, very intimate to the, the culture that we're building. The second is to never settle, and it's this perpetual idea that as an organization and as individuals, but particularly as an organization, you get to 60%, 70%, you make a decision, and you iterate. That's agile software in its finest or at its finest, and it's what we do as an organization. You make a decision, you move forward, you're never settling. You're always looking to perfect and make things better. And then the third one is raise the bar. And raise the bar is more of a hint at what we should be doing personally. I like to say as a leader, I can, I can likely spend a few minutes with you and inspire you to go do something for a very short, very short period of time. Um, and it's really just that we as individuals have that emotional ability to inspire folks for a short period of time. If there's no aspiration, no personal inspiration, me telling myself to aspire to do something better and to be great, then I won't be able to inspire you forever. And we're ultimately going to have a disconnect between my inspiration and your aspiration. But if we can align the inspiration with your aspiration, that creates incredible alignment. We can do great things together. And that's why Never Settle is uh, our third core value. And that's it. <laughs> well, I love all of those. And I particularly like to pick up on that it's a team. You win together, you lose together, creating this real team ethos, which I think is essential for any business to grow and prosper and thrive. How does that actually play out, Rod? Can you give me, can you share some examples with our listeners about what you actually do to really make that happen on a day-to-day -day basis in the business? Um, I'll, I'll share a couple of things. I'll give an example. Um, one of the things that I do is uh, early on, I used to be involved in all of the interviewing process. And uh, you know, we, we would say to our team, to our managers and leaders that if we, as we grow, um, and when we were doing our series A, we were seven employees, we were gonna grow to 27 employees. So almost you know, more than tripling the size of your workforce, which doesn't sound like a lot, but hiring 20 new people into your organization of seven, if we didn't define what our culture wanted to be and hire the people that we wanted that matched the culture that we wanted, then inevitably what would happen is that the 20 people would begin to define our culture. So it would happen to us versus us doing it intentionally. And so that's where these core values originally came from. Um, so one of the ways is we're very intentional in our hiring process to find people that both can, can match their talent set with the problem. Um, you know, that's the competency, uh, but then its character has to match the, you know, the organization's culture. 
um, one of the ways that that came out was when we were first launching the company, we had a very large customer who we had promised an awful lot. So for any of your listeners that are software companies, you know, you sell vaporware. Um, it's, uh, it, it's just what happens. You, you sell this idea, you build an MVP, and then you sell this idea that, yes, we are going to actually go build what you have purchased. And so you have this gap in fulfillment of technology with expectation of customer. And that creates a big problem if you can't match the expectation with fulfillment. And we were there. And I remember sitting down with our teams, and this is where the win together attitude came from, was we, we had our sales and account management team that was at odds with our um, R&D team, our engineering team. And I said, listen, let's step back for a second. If we lose this customer, there's consequences. But if we win this customer, we get to win together. And the words came out of my mouth, and it was like, that needs to be a core value. And we started to really um, talk about it. And I, I could talk and name several folks that are still with the company who were part of that. And they remember, yeah, you're right. We, we need to win together. So that was one example. We listed out the 26 items. We rallied together um, in this cheesy little office without carpet around the outside because it was being refurbished. And we wrote down the 26 items on a, on a whiteboard. Everyone grabbed one. And within a few days, we were able to check those off. And we still have that customer they just renewed um, six years later. So um, that's a win together attitude. And the result speaks for itself. Well, that's fantastic. And to have kept them. Have you ever revealed to the customer just out of interest that you had this situation where they'd made a commitment to you and you hadn't quite got things in place? Because that feels like quite a scary place to be. Well, they knew. <laughs> they knew. Okay, they knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a big misnomer too. I think when when companies, uh, you know, early adopters uh, bite into technology and innovation um, that's new to market, they understand that there's a risk associated. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I think that I've learned as a as a founder is to be more transparent, because those, if you think about it, just from a, a human perspective, when we think we know what we're buying, um, we evaluate the risk in the back of our mind anyway. We make um, emotional decisions and we rationalize them with facts, right? Um, so the customers want, they're doing the same thing. They may not vocalize that to you, um, but but not sharing with them creates a lot of ambiguity and ultimately distrust. So sharing with them where you're at in that process actually is an opportunity to win trust or keep it and to then go prove yourself and to win loyalty. And loyalty is beyond trust. Um, that's ultimately what everyone wants in customers is loyalty. Um, and that takes a long time to go do. And it takes you know, time to actually continue to execute on that vision. I couldn't agree with you more there, Rod. I mean, I, having kept clients for in excess of 20 years in my previous business, that loyalty is crucial, but it means you've got to be completely transparent. And in fact, if you're not, you get caught out anyway, and that's not a nice place to um, to be. So um, I agree with that 100%. And it's crucial going forward that that continues. What, what practical advice would you give, Rod, to people stepping into a leadership role? I mean, very often we say on this podcast, anybody can be a leader at any stage in their career. But somebody who wants to step up and become you know, a more senior leader, what practical tips would you share with them or encourage them to, 
to take? Uh, two simple things that uh, any one of your listeners can begin doing today. Um, number one is to read. Um, there's a, a quote, and I, I cannot remember who, who said this quote. I should be able to remember it. But um, the, the quote, in essence, says something to the tune of, for those that don't read, they're no better than the illiterate. So you, you your listeners have the ability to put up, put on another podcast, to put on a, a you know an audio book, or to physically read a book. That is an opportunity that every one of us have as human beings. It's the great, in my opinion, the great separator between success and not success, is those that just take the time to read. Um, so reading is simple. The second one is to surround yourself with people who are where you want to go. So I'm, I'm part of a, a mentoring, a CEO mentoring group. The first time I joined um, these, uh, the folks that are part of this group, I can remember calling my wife on break and said, I said, honey, I don't know why I'm even here. I don't belong. These are a group of folks that are so far past where I'm at, but that's exactly where I needed to be. Um, and you need to be in those rooms. If you're the smartest person in the room, change the room. Um, you need to get out of that room and find, you know, find other people that can challenge you. So those are two simple, practical things, and I do them daily. Well, I love those. And, you know, just that challenge you gave yourself, you didn't know why you were in those room with those, uh, with those people that you felt were more advanced than you. I mean, isn't it the best way to learn, isn't it? Let's um, move on to what advice, Rod, would you give your younger self, knowing what you know now, about setting up a business and taking it to where you've taken it. And then we'll talk a little bit more about your business. It'd be good to drill down into that a little bit more. What advice would you give your younger self? Um, so about I'm leadership, set, sorry. Set sure. So I think the advice that I just gave is uh, what I would tell myself at a younger age um, to, to really do that sooner. Um, I'm not a look at the past and uh, wish we, I would have done something differently. Um, I wish I would have made decisions, some decisions a little slower. Um, sometimes I think that's the, my personality. I'm a quick start. And so I, I like to move um, and act. Um, but uh, I think a little bit of experience has taught me to pause. Um, and part of that is this having a group of people you can pick up the phone and say, hey, this is what this is the problem. This is how I'm thinking about solving it. And they can just quickly tell you, dude, you're like way off or, oh, you're, you're spot on, or I like your intuition on this. Um, and so that affirmation you don't get, if you don't have a group of people around you, that you can make a, pick up that phone and call. And those people have to not be peers. That's something else that I think I would tell myself as a younger, and I tell this to, you know, folks um, in their twenties, I'm 46. If, if you're surrounding yourself with peers that are your age, then you have the wrong mentors, find folks that are where you want to go. Um, that 15 to 20 years your senior that can pour into you, that have that desire to mentor. And there are hundreds and thousands of people that would love to be mentors for the younger generation. I'm one of them. I love to coach folks. Um, it's just, it's, I wish I had more people around me at that age. Well, I can relate to that as well. It's just lovely to share knowledge, isn't it? And to share, that's one of the reasons why we have the podcast actually, to just share that whole breadth of experience about, what went wrong, how you dealt with it, you're not alone. Um, we all face challenges. It's how we get through them is the most important thing. 
So tell us a little bit more about your your business, Rod. What are the challenges that you're facing as a business now? What are the big challenges for you? What exciting projects do you have? Okay, so at a high level, um, we work with employers in the United States to help them understand how their healthcare costs um, directionally are moving. And then we use our platform that we've built over the last six years, which is a really sophisticated data ingestion tool with very sophisticated algorithms to understand what you can do to reduce cost in the future. So bend the trend, as we often say, reduce cost in the future, but then also help the human being with better clinical engagement. Um, Simply the, the way we try to think about that is if you have a, an opportunity to engage sooner in the medical system, you should. Um, if you have an opportunity and you're already engaged in the medical system to do something better, you should. Um, so our system, our technology is really de- designed to be able to extract and find those opportunities and to hand them to the appropriate people so that they can engage in that human intervention. Um, that probably sounds too complex, but uh, you know, in its simplest form, that's, that's what we do. Um, from a complexity and challenges, I mentioned some of those that, uh, you know, that most employers are going through for us. Um, you know, this great resignation is one that we have on our radar. It's something that uh, we look at as opportunistic to be able to say, how can we as an organization make sure that we're matching your talent with the problem we're trying to solve and that there's proper passion to be able to do so? So that's an in- introspect way for us to marry Um, those problems internally with our team. And I think we do a really good job at that. Sometimes what we find is that the passion of an individual doesn't match a problem that we have. And so as uh, you know, there are many books on this, um, sometimes that journey needs to end and that's okay. Um, I think a lot of employers are up in arms. Oh no, you know, it actually is okay if that passion doesn't meet a problem. Now, if there's a passion and a problem um, and they don't, you know, decide to marry themselves, that's really where organizations, I think, are trying to figure out how can we find that intersection a little sooner so that we don't have this resignation. Um, so that's an area that we're, we're working on. One piece of advice I give for those that are listening that are not, you know, in a CEO type seat is to recognize um, when folks are going through that own turmoil. Um, and just because people are your friends may be leaving jobs um, or, and just because pay may be a different scale than where you're at, don't assume that the organization you're moving into is not facing these same problems. They are. Um, statistically, we know this and you're, you're reading about it. There's massive turnover across the, across the com- uh, you know, country, not just the country, but the world um, with, with people really starting to reevaluate where they want to be and making sure that there is true um, alignment there. So that's the one that we're, we're very, very focused on. And do you have quite a big millennial workforce, Rod? Um, we have a really diverse workforce. So, and diverse, I mean by the normal thinking there, um, um, by, by, by age um, is one of the areas that we've actually started to focus on. Um, and so we do still have a large, I mean, the millennials represent almost 60% of the working population in the United States. So naturally, we're going to have a large segment of millennials. Um, and I think that's actually one of the, the, the best and exciting group um, of, uh, of age segments because they are 
in that growth segment of their career. They're, they're eager to learn. They're trying on new things. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's a great opportunity to basically align our problems with really, really eager folks that want to go solve big, exciting things. We had a, um, a, a great podcast session with um, a millennial specialist, and he was talking about how millennials need to be led in a different way. So having high levels of psychological safety, even things such as anxiety parties and the need to have much quicker feedback than kind of the annual or the six month uh, review um, process. So it's, uh, as you say, that um, 60% is going to rise to 75%, I think by 2025. So it's important that we appreciate how millennials prefer to be led. So. On an, another note now, let's just move on to, you know, we've talked about your business. What made you start your business, Rod? <laughs> um, I'll tell a personal story here about my now 20-year-old daughter, and, uh, and uh, she will likely listen to this. She's at that age group. Um, so when she was uh, in her early teen years, she started to have this uh, pain right below her jawline, right where your lymph nodes are at. Um, and eventually had some swelling. And we went through this process of taking her to the doctor. The doctor says, we can't find anything. We stair-stepped that through um, biopsies um, and a multitude of various um, medical procedures to, to understand what was going on. And the doctors kept coming back and saying, we don't know. Um, at the time, I owned a brokerage uh, insurance agency, had been thinking about this data space for some time. Um, and had launched this company at the same time as this was going on. And remember, we walked into the doctor's office. This is an ENT, ear, nose, and throat doc. And he said, I don't have any answer. I'm sorry. We've gone through multiple biopsies at this point. He says, I don't have an answer. We can't understand what's going on. This is non-cancerous. And that's the part I failed, failed to mention. Early on, you know, the doctor's hinting at this big C word that we're all worried about with cancer. And so we go through almost 18 months of just ambiguity with my daughter. We get into this setting now at the end of that 18 months, the doctor says, I have talked with my um, other practitioners here. We don't know what's going on. This is gonna sound really odd, but what, what I'm suggesting is you go over to the pharmacy across the street and go to the candy aisle and buy a bag of Sour Patch candies. And I, I was flabbergasted. Like, seriously? He says, yes, I want you to go buy a bag of Sour Patch Candies. So sure enough, we did follow the doctor's orders, $2.50 for a bag of uh, you know, Sour Patch Candies. And within days, um, my daughter's swelling began to go down. The pain was relieved. And what she ended up having was an infected saliva gland. So that kind of drove me. And you, you know, Rebecca, and any one of your listeners, we've, we've all heard of horror stories um, in medicine of operating or amputating the wrong leg or, or uh, appendage. Um, and that's not unusual. Unfortunately, it's less common today as it used to be, but this was only a few years ago. So I said, you know, at the time I was in the brokerage space and I said, man, goodness, if that's what's happening from an individual level, think about that in, at the macro level. How many errors or opportunities are there in medicine to be able to understand just simple data and use data to really inspire change in the form of preventing disease. Um, so 
I'm going to just maybe go one more minute here and say one of the things that we recognize being in the insurance industry and working with large employers and then having this condition, this issue going on personally was that the medical system, generally speaking, has buyers and sellers. It's like any other capital market. You have deliverers of care, physicians, doctors, pharmacists, who have a product that they're delivering, and there's an economic exchange called, you know, that we do, and there's value in exchange for that, which creates the buying community, you and I, when we have an issue. So the buyers want good quality, but the, but the sellers not, aren't necessarily incentivized to actually deliver that in the same way that we would want to buy a product. And thus what you have is complexity in the delivery of the entire system. And ultimately what happens is you create a perverse nature in those that can deliver care. And I'm for any of those physicians or nurses on the phone, I'm not saying that you're necessarily one. I'm just simply saying that the nature of the system is that the more care that is delivered, the more economic return that is given to those that are supplying that product. And that's not how we normally do business when we think about buying stuff. And so there's a lot of movement that has happened in the last you know, six years um, to create more value-based um, care and to create more transparency. What we said is that we want to be at the, in the middle of this lens. We want to collect data, allow the buyers to understand, those that are taking risk, to really understand what you're risking, and then share that information with those that are delivering care so that we can create a non-perverse incentivization and create the best value for care. Um, so using some of the same terms that are out in the market, um, and that's where Springbuck sits. We're right in the middle of that, of being able to collect information and educate both sides of the system to give people the best opportunity. So they don't have to go through the you know, same situation that my daughter went through or that you or a friend may have gone through. Um, that's where we sit in the space. So can I just make sure I've understood that? That means take your daughter's situation, that data would have been collected and it would have been shared and the outcome would have been shared. So anybody else having those symptoms would be able to understand um, through that sharing so of knowledge possibly. Yeah, I mean, in the last six years, I mean, it's, uh, if you think technologically, this is what's really, really cool about the era that we live in. I mean, A, we're doing a Zoom call today, um, and you're doing podcasts. I mean, really, six, seven years ago, you, these didn't exist. Um, technology has advanced in such a way that it's now uh, infiltrated every area of our lives. The medical system and healthcare has been one of the, the latest to adopt technology and certainly um, to share information. It's happening today. So I'm by no means saying that it's, it's where it was six years ago when, when my daughter went through this situation. But in her example, those every visit that you do as a human being produces a CPT code or ICD-9 or 10. Um, so the medical information code that is transferred that can be used to be able to predict the potential outcome. The more of that information that is gathered, the more information we can say, hey, trigger, if this happens, then this is next. And so the more information that is uh, collected, you can have better predictions um, in the future. And you think about this from a COVID perspective. Um, my, my mother just passed away a week and a half ago, um, October 14th. Uh, she, she passed away of COVID symptoms. Um, she had COVID pneumonia and ultimately passed away because of it. Um, but even talking with the physicians during that time, what they were able to share is that the protocols that were done even three months ago 
have changed because they're learning with the sharing of information across the United States. So that's all good. These are all logical, positive progressions that we would expect as humanity is that information is shared. We just want to move it forward even faster um, through our technology. Well, thank you for sharing that, Rod, and, and, and I'm sorry to hear about your mum passing away. Um, but great work, because that sharing of knowledge, we've talked about sharing our own experiences, you've shared yours very openly, and that's been fantastic. Thank you very much for that. As we come to a close, Rod, what would you like to share with our listeners? Um, you know, I think for me, one of the things that, uh, you know, I have my mom in my mind and, you know, legacy is a big thing that uh, goes through your mind when you lose a loved one um, and the legacy that they live. My mom left an incredible legacy. I'm glad to even be able to mention that on a podcast. Um, but it's made me think about the legacy that I want to leave. And, you know, it's um, in business. I, I write on this occasionally when we write a white paper or so on. But, um, there are many, many things that you can go do as professionals. Um, and in this world of you know, mass resignation, um, I think the mission of an organization really does matter. And, you know, our business is, is doing something that me is meaningful. We save people's lives. Um, information that we gather doesn't just change the trajectory of their um, life. It literally can save their life. Um, and so, you know, I can hold hold strong to know that, you know, what I do is meaningful, um, that it has a bigger mission than me. Um, and I think that's ultimately what leaders are called to do is to think about themselves um, beyond just what they want to get out of a, an organization. Um, but leadership is about those that follow um, and um, aspiring to do something that's bigger and better than you and helping others do the same on that journey. Um, that's certainly a legacy that I'd like to leave. Well, that's a fantastic legacy to be working towards and achieving, Rod. It's been fantastic to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate it greatly. Thank you very much indeed. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rgen, rjen.co.uk website.